You're listening to the Sick Mom's Guide Podcast, episode 21. Welcome to the Sick Mom's Guide Podcast. If my mom can do it, you can too. I'm Jen Hardy. I'm the mom of seven children. At the date of this recording, their ages range from six to 28. I'm married to the man of my dreams, and I have multiple eclectic chronic diseases. Throughout this parenting journey, I've come up with systems and ways to handle juggling it all while staying positive and moving forward, even when my body's pushing back. I've created this podcast because I believe that if we start opening up, stop being ashamed, and ditch the guilt, then as a community, we will make each other stronger. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Brody Welch, and when I found out that she does Chinese medicine, I thought, oh my gosh, I need to interview this woman. And so I looked on her website to try to find out a little bit more about her, and I will tell you what cinched it for me. On her website, she has this coaching service, and she she talked about who it's good for and who it isn't good for. And this is one of the things that it said about who it is not good for, women who aren't ready to let go of the bragging rights that come from being stressed out and tired all the time. And I thought, well, that kind of hit a nerve with me. Because who am I? I'm the sick mom, right? That is literally part of my identity is being the sick mom. And I don't want to keep staying in the mindset of I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick all the time and think about myself that way. And the more I dug into what Brody does, and how she doesn't transform just people's outward health, but their inner health, the way they talk to themselves, the way they view themselves, the way they treat themselves. I knew I had to have her here. And that is why we're going to listen to her today. Now, her official bio is that she's a licensed acupuncturist, a board certified herbalist, Chinese medicine expert, holistic health coach, and self-care strategist. She's the founder of Life and Balance Acupuncture in Corvallis, Oregon, where she's been treating patients since 2003. She also knows Kijong and yoga and several other things that she's learned. She's amazing. So please join me in welcoming Brody Welch. Hi, Brody. I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm looking forward to this conversation, Jen. Thanks. Well, I have talked a little bit about what it is that you do, and I'm so excited to talk to you today because I really love Chinese medicine. It's a somewhat of a passion of mine. I just wanted to know, how did you decide to get into Chinese medicine? It was not a straightforward path at all. It was uh, the kind of thing that I discovered almost by accident. I thought that I wanted to change the world all at once. I wanted to have a positive impact on the planet, and because I, I was, I, it was really close to my values to be doing something that's giving back. And I felt like it also is just sort of a, a burdened existentially by just existing without being a positive force on the planet. And I was totally running myself into the ground, doing way too much and trying to change the world all at once and and doing all this uh, volunteering and social activism and and realizing that that was going to set myself up for a life I was not going to enjoy. And uh, and thank God there are people doing that work. But uh, it was it was not going to be the path of, of happiness for me. So as I was trying to figure out life, I was, um, this is after I graduated from college, after I'd kind of played out and saw where that road was going to lead, I 
ended up taking an eight to five day job and going to massage therapy school at night because I'd always been told that I had a gift of touch. And so, and it was in massage school that I fell in love with Chinese medical theory in a shiatsu class. So the idea of being exposed to the meridians, the the, the channels of energy, uh, the the concepts of yin and yang and balance and the, the fundamental philosophy in Chinese medicine that if it's out there in the universe, it exists here in our bodies as well. And that that uh, this this whole, um, the, the original bot, body, mind, spirit medicine that Chinese medicine is, was revealed to me. And I just felt like it was remembering something true. And I just knew that I wanted to study more. So I went on to get my master's in oriental medicine directly after massage therapy school and worked as a massage therapist while in acupuncture school and then opened my practice um, back in 2003. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Like the things you think you're going to start off with when you're graduating college and everything doesn't always have to be where you end up. Yeah, right. Government history, economics, and philosophy do not inform my current day practice of Chinese (laughs) medicine very much. Um, Um, But but you had that desire to help people. Absolutely. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's to help people and 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 also to empower them. You know that that the the original. I think what's so disempowering in in our current medical system that most of us uh, were raised in that in that paradigm is that the doctor's the authority and that you do what you're told and that 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 basically yeah like you know that that. Um, that, that the true medicine it comes in the form of chemicals from a phar- pharmaceutical company. And when, when we know that the things that we do every day are actually the, mo- the most powerful levers we have over how we want to feel. And so it's like, I, I suppose that I still have a little bit of that political countercultural um, uh, sort of streak in me because there is a lot that I want to change about the way that we think about health and just especially to, to give people the tools uh, that, uh, of self-care that, that are so powerful powerful in, in determining how we want to feel that Chinese medicine is inherently applied philosophy. It's not about slinging needles and dispensing herbs so much as it is about this philosophy of yin and yang and bringing the body into balance and looking at our lives and looking at the energetics of life, the energetics of food, the energetics of, of everything around us and, and seeing what kind of an effect is this having? And it does, is it contributing or, or taking away from how I want to be feeling? And that is exactly what led me into Chinese medicine. So I had been sick. Well, I've been sick for a while, but it was about three years ago, a little less than three years ago that I was getting sicker. Nobody could figure out why I was misdiagnosed with something. So the treatments were pretty harsh and they weren't working. And so I looked into this book of classes near me because I thought, you know, I'm just going to get something to take my mind off it. And one of them was Chinese medicine. And that's how I found it. And through that, I found acupuncture, which honestly... I think going to see this man who taught the class really saved my life at that time because our medicine was not, it was doing the opposite. And I really, really, I felt so much better. And my husband was a critic in the beginning, but by the end he saw, you know, after a few months, he's like, oh my gosh, this has literally saved you. So he was a believer, but I've talked to a lot of people whose insurance doesn't cover it and they're really struggling financially. Do you know of ways that they can still seek a practitioner or are there cost-effective ways that they can try things like this? You know, that's, that's a really tough question because there's so much that's wrong with our healthcare system. You know, they, there's, there's so much that's broken because really it's unconscionable that people can't get the care that works. Um, that said, 
um, it's the way that the way that it, that even the insurance model is structured it is I don't think is necessarily serving uh, patients or practitioners for that matter. Um, certainly, if what is needed is is a whole bunch of acupuncture treatments, there is something called community acupuncture, which is a model where people can get low cost treatments without the kind of personalized lifestyle and diet advice that you might get in uh, seeing a, a clinician one on one. But you do get the benefit of being in a really healing environment and having I, where where there's usually it's it's recliner chairs and um, it, and the practitioner will just use points in the hands and feet and a lot of times just that parasympathetic chill out um, relaxation reminding the body of what it's like to relax in addition to getting the um, getting the energy to where it needs to go it's like it can it's certainly a, a profoundly healing option but I, I'd actually like to speak to the question behind the question about that just that that there is. Or, or, or like the mindset behind the question maybe okay. is more more specifically is that what what do we think of as expensive versus inexpensive right that like if we look at what people were paying for food costs like 30 or 50 years ago compared to now um, versus healthcare costs they're basically flipped that like food has gotten cheaper and healthcare has gotten more expensive no like and in, in like almost that exact ratio right people used right. to pay like you know 20 something percent of their income for for uh for food and and but anyway but there there is it what we think of as um as valuable if we think about like if you could think back to when you were but literally losing your life force to a misdiagnosis and to medicine that was tearing your body down unnecessarily. The the I, I don't know obviously what you exactly we were dealing with, but I imagine that you were not feeling very energetic, that you were probably in some sort of pain. It was probably not very pleasant. And like, what would you have given to like what sort of like how valuable would it have been to feel better in just a few months so like a few months worth of acupuncture treatments okay like let's just go with like if a treatment is about a hundred bucks give or take wherever you are in the world and it's maybe going to take six to ten visits to 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 achieve a substantially life-altering result in most cases it's like you're talking six hundred dollars is is the idea of having like triple or quadruple or ten tenfold the amount of energy you were having beforehand or like a dramatic reduction in the amount of pain you're in is that is that six hundred to a thousand dollars worth of value? Like my guess is that it's probably a bargain compared to like if you were to put a value on like how you want to feel. So I would say like while I have like tremendous empathy for the fact that people like there's very real like cost struggles, what we are we are not like it just it, it. I would also challenge the notion that that we aren't worth taking care of proactively and, and, and in advance. And like, you know what, like we can be resourceful. We can, we can look at what we're investing in that's taking us actively away from the health outcomes we want to achieve and put that directly into something that's going to work, whether or not it's covered by insurance, whether that's a functional medicine lab test or whether it's acupuncture or whether it's therapy, like it, you know, like there's all kinds of things that we need that work that nobody's going to fund, but can make a tremendous difference in how we end up feeling and might even save our lives. And it's like I, I don't know like if the values in the transformation, acupuncture is a bargain. And which and that's the decision that we made, you know, for, yeah. for our family. So, but I think that's really good for people listening because I think there's a lot of things that pull at people's finances that they don't really realize are pulling. And 
You're right. Like if it saves your life and gives you a quality of life, then it's something that's worth investing in. Well, and it's also not prohibitively expensive. I mean, really, it's like if we think about the cost of like an MRI, you know, it's like that you're not paying that cost, but we as a society are paying like what, $500, $600 for like for a diagnostic test where it's like that actually could be six weeks worth of treatment (laughs) from from a Chinese medicine standpoint. So just even even objectively, like our, our healthcare system could be saving billions of dollars if if for example, um, acupuncture were something paid for um, by whatever um, single-payer model or um, insurance model that we would choose to have. And, and really, it's, um, it, it is actually, it's not technological medicine. It's, uh, you know, that, the, that, that really, it's, um, it's something that can be profound and in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, but also, the benefit of seeing someone who is doing one-on-one treatments as opposed to the community acupuncture setting is that you'll get tips about how to apply Chinese medicine philosophy to your daily life. And Chinese herbal medicine can be, also be an incredibly profound way of treating internal conditions. So whereas I love needle magic for things like shoulder pain and back pain and arthritis and fibromyalgia and you know, like these kinds of things, um, these kind of chronic conditions that can be certainly debilitating, that it's like you're going to get there so much faster if you can be taking treating the root of the imbalance in the body uh, with as many tools as you're able to use you know and so like a month's worth of of personalized herbal medicine is like 30 bucks 40 bucks you know like that's that's nothing right it's like compared to i mean most people um are willing to to take supplements that are at least that expensive that have been prescribed by somebody with zero training that they meet at whole foods or you know like so, or just like what happens to be like faddish and in the news as opposed to something that's like personalized and that's treating a whole suite of symptoms like what, what's another beautiful thing about chinese medicine is that we that you might be having digestive issues and headaches and uh, concentration or memory stuff and hormone imbalance. And in Chinese medicine, that might all be one pattern that we treat all at once. And so you might see improvements on all of those levels at the same time. And it doesn't have to be like sequential. It's not like it's going to take 10 treatments for your headaches and then 10 treatments for your digestion. It's like everything gets better um, at the same time because we look at the body as a whole and we treat the whole person. And that's, I think, just one of the strengths and beauty of, of this medicine is that we are not looking at a bunch of parts and a bunch of separate systems. We're looking at the whole and we're looking at the inputs into the system that can include uh, that which is emotional, spiritual, dietary, um, lifestyle, um, toxicity, just at anything, um, virus bacteria, you know, like all of that we that we're looking at to figure out an individualized plan that's going to make everything better. Well, that's awesome. And I like, you know, you talked in the beginning about how people were saying you have a healing touch. And I think the one-on-one has a lot to do with, you know, getting that to, you know, that person to look you in the eye and really focus on you. Absolutely. Um, and that's really, that's an important thing that I think we miss in traditional healthcare because the doctors are so busy now. They've got so much paperwork to do. New, new patients can be seen in seven minutes, according to the allopathic paradigm, you know, like, and, and it's not that the doctors don't care. It's just that that's what insurance will pay for is the tests and not the conversations that can be life-changing. And so, yes, I think that like so much of the, uh, it, it can be incredibly healing to be seen and heard and respected and to have somebody say like, you know what, this doesn't really make sense to me, but I believe you. I understand that what you're saying is real and that, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. And so, which, you know, and so there, there is the kind of thing where 
absolutely, when I don't know what's going on from an allopathic standpoint, I'll definitely encourage people to get those tests and figure it out through that lens. But it doesn't stop me from being able to, to go, huh, this ecosystem in this person before me needs more heat or cool or you know yin or yang or like this is the system that's being challenged. This is the system that's weakest. And here's how we can amplify what is working and, and help bring the whole system back into balance. And so really, you know, it's the kind of thing where like, I'll take an hour with a new patient and get their entire medical history and try to understand everything that's going on in their lives because I don't know how you can possibly make it better otherwise. And that, that is exactly why you're here because I've done, like I was telling you before we talked, um, before we started recording, I have looked into everything about you that I can find. And I just love the way you view the people that you treat. And, you know, I can just say the last neurologist I went to, he's my 10th neurologist in five years. Um, And he walked in and the first thing he said was, I just want you to know that I will never have a chance to look through your whole chart. I only have a couple minutes and I just, I, I'll never get to everything that you need me to get to. And he's the best one I've had so far. So to well, have, at least he's being honest about his he, limitations. Know, like, oh. Although on a side note is that when my husband came in, he sat down and listened and did what he needed to do, which I think is also a really sad state of affairs, but that's for another day. Um, mm-hmm. But what I like is people like you that do the kind of things that you do, like you said, you take the hour right? And so that same money that you'd spend on a copay and the drugs and the test. Oh, and, and that's not counting the acupuncture, right? Then we get on the, you know, get the person right. on the table and actually do a treatment, uh, which is, which is part of that first visit. And, you know, and so it is, it's a, it's a longer amount of time, but it's like, it, it's, it sets the ball rolling in the right direction and, and enables us to, uh, it's, it is absolutely time well spent. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that just need that just need that. Like you were saying, like you give validation. Like, I believe you have these things because for a lot of moms that I've talked to, no one believes them, even their spouse or their parents, or sometimes their kids, they just don't have that person and anybody saying it doesn't make sense, but I know that it's true for you. Yeah. And and sometimes it's, sometimes it's not only like, I see you and I believe you and I honor your experience, but it's also, and Chinese medicine totally has a a name for this, right? (laughs) So, because there's, there's some weird things that, that, that people have experienced in thousands of years of history that people have been, that, that Chinese medicine clinicians have written about in the classics. And so, so the idea of like, what, so we'll get exposed to these beautiful phrases in Chinese medicine, like running piglet chi, right? So that's the idea the sensation of like a, a piglet galloping up from the from the pubic bone up through the chest. Well, that's a panic attack for some people. You know, it's like so you know, so oh, it's okay. like it's different language, but it's like some people experience the sensation of rushing that happens up the middle of their bodies as though there's like a stampede happening. You know, and it's like, oh well, that's a phrase from the classics or a sensa- sensation in the throat of of a, a plum pit chi as is like something stuck in my throat that I can't quite swallow or spit out, and it's just kind of there. It's like, oh well, that's plum pit chi. That you know, like so. so we know what to do for that. You know, like there, there's, uh, there's things that not every symptom, but it's like a lot of times we have a way of looking at it or a way of at least constructing a story about what might be happening within the ecosystem based on the organ systems as we understand them, which is not just like your liver that you know and love or your heart that you know and love, but these organs that are responsible for um, a pathway on the surface of the body, a sensory organ, a dimension of your emotional life and your intellectual life. Um, really, a, a dimension of the entire universe can be can be um, if you if everything in the universe is chi or energy and you refract it through a prism, 
you can see all the different colors, right? And so you, you can look at, and that's basically what Chinese medicine does. It's like, okay, all the energy in the body, we're going to break it down into these different systems that, that um, encompass body, mind, and spiritual stuff. And we're going to figure out what's what. And so a lot of times it's like, it becomes really clear just because it's such a different lens or a framework that you're seeing yourself in. And then it's like, then instead of thinking of like, oh, well, you know, like I'm this, I'm this sack of meat and this is not working within my, my body. It's like, I'm a living river of energy and I'm changing all the time. And right now this is the system that's out of balance. And here's what I can do to get back in balance. And so it's, it's a much more empowering view and and really like both are equally valid in the realm of physics, just one is Newtonian and one is quantum. Well, that's awesome. Wow. So and I love it. I love it because it's such a different way of looking at things. And um, yeah, it's it's just so it's exciting to me. And listening to you is so exciting to me because you've got such a <laughs> I do. Well, you know, it's like I never want people to stop looking for answers. And it may not be that Chinese medicine has those answers for each and every human being out there. Sometimes it's seeing the right chiropractor or the right physical therapist or the right structural integrator or the right craniosacral person or the right, I mean, there's like a zillion stripes of healing out there that like that some are are well known and some aren't. Uh, but the idea that like there is uh, there's not one path, and that really when we think that sort of like that um, the, and to think that sort of like our current dominant system of medicine that that is in control and calls the shots is neutral, um, you know, and like isn't influenced by like, for example, pharmaceutical companies is is really kind of naive. And so it's like, why not just, why not be advocates for ourselves and our own well-being and look outside the box and, which is not, I have hundred percent, like Western medicine has saved my life for sure. You know, like, and the lives of many people I love, I'm not knocking it. It's just not the only game in town. And I think it's really, really important for, for patients and people, um, people in their capacity as patients to, um, to figure out what's going to work for them. That's great. Um, I noticed on your website that you also do some coaching and I was looking through the kind of things that you do and one of the things you listed who it, who it is for and who it isn't for. And one of the people you said it isn't for people who, and the quote is, aren't ready to let go of the bragging rights that come from being stressed out and tired all the time. And I thought, well, I'm so glad that isn't me. But then when I really thought, but it hit a nerve in me for some reason. And the reason was because to some degree that is me, right? Because I've written a book called The Sick Mom's Guide. And, you know, my podcast is The Sick Mom. And that's kind of my identity right now, right? Is being the sick mom. And so I do try to focus on the positive and all that, but, but I really stopped and kind of thought, how much of my time do I spend thinking about whether it's, you know, and and sometimes expressing it outwardly more than I should about being that sick person and complaining about stress and all that kind of stuff. And it's definitely more than I would like to think. So I wanted to uh, talk to you a a little bit about that um, because I think if someone is listening and that kind of strikes a chord with them too. Do you have a way to help them change that thinking? Oh, that's a really rich question. And I first of all want to just honor your honesty. I really, I think that like, that being willing to be vulnerable and be like, wow, there actually might be some secondary gain to my identity as a sick person, right? Like that this might actually, so like, so for example, um, yeah, and, 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 and really identity, identity can mean a lot of things, but I, the way that I'm, I'm going to think about this, this word is like that, that if, it's our sense of who we are in the world. It's not truly who we are in the world. It, it's a, but it's it's a belief about ourselves, right? So, like, I identify as 
a woman, a mother, a sick person, a healthy person, um, you know, a, a florist, an architect, like wh- whatever it is that, that we do, you know, like the, these, any labels that we put on our hobbies or our career or our roles in life, they're, they, they don't encompass our entire being, right? None of them describe, you know, who we are professionally is very different than who we are in our social lives or who we are in our families. And, and so it, it's, it, so when we get too attached to these labels, we limit our potential for being other things, right? You know, like, so, and, and, and when we, so when we over identify with, for example, like, like wearing, like, of like being busy, for example, like, well, what does that do for us? Like, well, okay, well, if we're busy, we know that we're doing enough because our society, if we're going to break it down into yin and yang, really values the yang much more than the yin. Um, To to define these terms a little bit, yang being the active, the external, the hot, the productive, you know, so like the how it looks over how it feels, the the doing over the being, um, the speed over the rest, the um, the the, the, etc. Right? There's there's we can we can think about how young addicted our society is. And that goes from materialism and like the idea that you can buy your way to happiness to like the, you know, capitalism idea of that um, our self-worth is predicated on how much we get done in a day. And when we say that we're busy, you know, like even if we're busy, not in the economy at large, but we're busy with our kids or we're busy, you know, like doing, uh, with the people in our lives or with our, our projects or, you know, like whatever it is that, that gets our time, this idea of like frenzied activity that isn't necessarily purposeful and that feels depleting and exhausting, it gets in the way of us being able to make the decisions that are truly in alignment with what we know. Right. So it basically, so for me, you know, like I'm a busy person. I like being a busy person. I like being type A and, you know, I consider myself a recovering type A because I've really had to put those, those tendencies in check in order to not run myself into the ground and end up in the position of that. I see way too many of my patients. And so it's like, you've got to be able to, to let go of like the approval you get, the, the, the accolades, the, um, the societal, um, admiration for how much you get done. Right. You know, like that there's, there's like respect paid to people who are like working themselves into the ground. Whereas if you were to, to um, be chatting with the other moms at after school or, you know, like just waiting for it, uh, watching a kid's uh, game and you're, you're on the field and you're chatting with the other moms, it's like, you know, what, what if somebody was like, I had the best day. I did exactly what I felt like doing. I rested when I was tired. I I did my joy. I made dinner for the you know the people that I loved. I you know like that just if it's like what kind of a response would that be likely to get? Like would that person be cheered or would that person be looked at with like suspicion and jealousy? You know like just uh, that all sorts of judgment would go up. And this is from women, right? Like we're socialized. We're socialized. I this is my self care as a feminist issue stump box speech coming up here, but but I. I fundamentally believe that in a society where women have to work harder than men to get the same amount of money and where uh, women are expected to do the second shift at the end of the day after work of kids and and housework and all that, um, I've seen moms with stage four cancer who still feel like they have to make their kids lunches and breakfast and, you know, show up to all the, uh, you know, like the after school stuff, even when it's like absolutely depleting to them, you know, like, and it's like part of it is because their heart's in it and they absolutely want to, but the other half is what I have a problem with. And that is they know they're overextending, they know they're doing too much and they know they're going to pay a price for it. And that's the part that I really want us all to call into question of like, when are we out of integrity with our own energy? And when are we overriding our own 
own inner wisdom. Because anytime we do that, we are telling ourselves we are not worth taking care of. And that is a lie. I'm just letting that sink in for a second. Because that is so, I think, that, and that's, that's a societal thing that we have, right? Is that we, we shouldn't really take the time to take care of ourselves because we should be busy and taking care right. of other people. You should be giving your life force to everything but you. Exactly. <laughs> and you're lazy if you don't. Yes, you know, exactly. Is, is the unspoken right. is really mm-hmm. the unspoken thing. Cause I know even with me, um, I have muscular dystrophy. And so my muscles are like ra- more rapidly wasting now. And I know I should sit and I know I should rest, but it's the same thing as like the stage four. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I will last longer if I will just relax. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. it is, it's really hard, but it is in the back of my head are those women, like you were saying on the soccer field. Right. And they're saying, Oh, well you just sat around all day and did what you wanted. And, you right. know, feel good about it. Like, who are you to sit or to do that? Exactly. Right. But, exactly. But why shouldn't I do that? And why shouldn't you do that too? We should all do that. Exactly. You know? And get we get to support like. each other. Yeah. Get, get a job you like. So you're happy mm-hmm. during the day and you're mm-hmm. not frustrated during the day. So then you're not judging me. Like it's just a big. Right. Exactly. I used to take offense. Like when, when, um, when I would go on vacation, for example, like my patients would, would, I remember this day, this one woman was like, uh, you know, I was going on vacation and I was so overworked. I was like, you know, I I was treating so many way more patients a week than I should have been. I was getting as not nearly enough sleep. It was a not sustainable situation. I was giving way too much away. And it was like the kind of thing where, you know, it's like burnout is real, um, you know, especially among caregivers and especially among people, you know, in the healing arts. It's like, we're, you know, we're susceptible to it, especially as women. Uh, but yeah, that there is, a, but I was going on vacation and, and this person said, well, she made some snide, like, oh, well, that must be nice. And I was just, I was just so furious. I was like, you have no idea. And so the next time somebody said something like that, I vowed to answer differently. And so now I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Like I'm going on vacation and so should you, you know, like even if it's a staycation, like, like why not just take a day, read a book in your backyard, you know, like just do, you know, like, you know, order some healthy takeout, you know, just, just, just like take a day off and appreciate your being because none of us know how long we're going to have on this planet. And, you know, like whether we identify as a sick person or as a healthy person, I, by the way, don't know which I am, right? I'm 41 years old. I went through menopause at 36. I've had a, you know, I was dealt a weird gallbladder that like never had stones or gravel, but Western medicine told me I was fine for 20 years. I was having attacks that would like take me out for five days at a time to the point of not being able to eat or breathe without pain um, that I would work through because I was fine, quote unquote. And it wasn't until I get decent health insurance. They did the right test and they're like, oh, you don't have stones or gravel, but your gallbladder doesn't work at all. And by the way, it's totally inflamed. And you know, so like I had it taken out. I hadn't had problems in sense in five years, but it caused all this other, you know, all these other problems. And so it's like I've also had back pain since I was a teenager, but I'm wicked strong and I could do power yoga. And you know, and it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, when I identify as somebody who is like vulnerable, it totally changes how energetically I'm, I'm available for other people versus where I try to amplify what is working about my body and listen to what it needs. You know, because those times when like I was in pain, like it took me a long time before realizing that actually like. Um, that trying to hide the fact that I was in pain and trying to isolate from it. Um, like I felt like I was a burden on other people because I, it was taking so much effort for me to show up with positive energy, um, like, you know, in, in my family. So I would like go hide. I would take myself away from the family. Now, of course, if I had bothered to listen 
they would have said like, it's okay to be in a bad mood. It's okay to be irritable because you're in pain. We still want you around. But I didn't really even let them have that choice. I would just go isolate myself. And so it's the kind of thing where like, okay, yes, it's like I, I, there was nothing I could have done or taken that like ever touched the amount of pain I was in. I mean, like acupuncture, drugs, whatever, like nothing would help. Um, but I was definitely shooting the second arrow myself of that judgment of like, you're not worthy of being around other humans. Like, it's not okay for you to just be how you are. And so it's like, I feel like it taught me a lot about, um, about being willing to just be vulnerable and be like, yep, you know what? I'm at like 10% capacity today. Like maybe the best I can do is come home and collapse. You know, like maybe, maybe that's all I've got. Uh, but the quality of my presence, the quality of being able to, to be emotionally available, to listen, uh, goes way up when I, um, am, am, am operating and respecting what my body is telling me on a day-to-day basis. And so anyway, so I, I guess I, what I'm saying is that it's like, I, 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 I've also learned sort of like my wounded healer journey, you know, in, in the, the sort of, in, in a lot of regards that it, judging myself harshly for it was not helpful. And, and deciding that um, actually taking a self-compassionate route is something that um, that I'm a big fan of, and something that I, I, I teach a lot in my coaching program. Um, that we approach everything with self compassion, because most of us do not need more shoulds, more things that we feel like we need to be doing in order to be acceptable or worthy. What we need to be doing is having more compassion, not more judgment. What we need to be doing is honoring our yin, that which is restful, that which is rejuvenating, that's just that which is soft and feminine and intuitive and inward and be able to honor that because we can't have good yang productivity outward you know anything without good yin and that's really the definition of health in chinese medicine is that there's a balance of yin and yang and that just that yin yang symbol that i'm sure most people are familiar with that it's not two rectangles side by side it's a model of the universe that involves interplay between yin and yang. And we all know that you can't have a good productive day without a good solid night's sleep, you know, like, or that it just at least multiply that times five. And like, yeah, you're not going to have a productive day. You're going to be, we're going to be uh, running on fumes. And, and yet we look at the energetics of life. We want it to be daytime all the time. We want it to be summer all the time. We, you know, and we expect that of ourselves without seeing the beauty in going yin and really honoring our yin. So it's the kind of thing where like, I would say like if, if you take nothing else from this podcast is like is recognizing that it's actually quite a radical act and a feminist act of self-respect to allow yourself to rest when you're tired, for example. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's not easy to do, but we know. <laughs> no, it is not easy to do. Well, yeah. and along the lines of self-talk, um, you had mentioned yeah. on episode 100 of your podcast that you used to struggle with what you called a vicious inner critic. Oh, yeah. And it, she's still another, there. That's another <laughs> thing that me. I, I had gotten a book called The Optimistic Child because mm-hmm. I had a child who was not optimistic. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to help her. And the whole first chapter was a, to the parent about our own inner voice and how we talk to ourselves and how that like that decides who we are and then how we talk to our children and then how they feel. And so it just reminded me of that because that's something that I've been conscious of, still struggle with it a little bit, like you were saying. Um, Do you have a way uh, or how did you overcome that more or do you have advice for people of how to, how to tame that inner critic? 
Yeah. Oh, I've done several episodes on this on A Healthy Curiosity, my show. Um, I also wrote uh, an article for the Huffington Post about it on um, sort of, I, I basically, when I, I became an Insta parent, I married a widower and um, I suddenly found myself with full-time stepchildren who were eight and 12. And they suddenly, like having these small witnesses in my home made me aware of just how negative my self-talk was and wanting me to, like it made, like I'd always, i had always known that I sort of tore myself down internally and berated myself um, for like it just even the smallest infractions. And so I found uh, the work of Kristen Neff, um, the art of, or she has a book on self-compassion. I forget the title exactly, but I, a huge shout out to that because I, um, and, and, um, really put myself through like a crash course in self-compassion practices and, and took that to my meditation cushion and to my yoga mat and really just started trying to have a kinder inner dialogue and trying to just recognize like, first of all, my words, like, do I talk to myself differently than I would talk to my best friend or my sister, you know, like, or my mother or like, you know, somebody that I really respected? And the answer was no. Like I, you know, I, I say terrible things to myself. So it was like, first of all, just like getting impeccable with my words. And that's a, that's that four agreements idea, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, I believe um, that anyway, be impeccable with your words. So just like, so not say, oh, this is killing me or that's the worst or like, I'm a terrible human being, you know, like just to, to be really clear that like you only speak that which you, it, it, you believe to be true in your heart of hearts. And then, um, and recognizing uh, the other piece of Kristen Neff's work that I really like is common humanity, right? Recognizing that the expectations I had on myself were totally unrealistic. It's like, and and in fact, like my husband Jeremy, his he he jokes with me that someday you're going to look at me with the same critical eye that you look at yourself, and I'm not going to measure up, and I'm terrified of that happening. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, but I love you, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the problem, <laughs> you know, because I theoretically love me too. But uh, but in terms of my expectations for myself are um, ridiculous. You know, if I, if I were, because I am my own boss um, as an entrepreneur, um, like if I actually were two different people, like I would quit because I would be like, my boss expects me to do the job of 10 people. And like, there's no way, there's not enough hours in the day. I can't possibly do it all. And yet like the, the so, so actually like kind of thinking about my, my inner dialogue and my inner expectations of myself is like, what if I were an employee employer relationship? Or what if I were in a partnership with myself? What if there was, what if there was an inner me that I was responsible for caring for, like, um, like one of my kids, you know, like that just, and what, what would I want her to believe, um, is okay. And so, so really, um, self-compassion is, is an attitude. And really, I think self-care is self-compassion in action, right? If we think about the yin and the yang, one is an attitude that we take our, to ourselves. And the other is the way that we demonstrate that attitude. It's like, how would we act if we really believed that we were worthy of love? How would we act if we really believed that we were as worthy of care as our best friend? And and just like and you know, it's like, would I push myself to do as much on a daily basis? Would I stay up as late? Would I um, would I overfeed myself things that aren't necessarily nourishing, um, as opposed to like when when what I really need is rest or what I re- when what I really need is companionship or support or something like that? It's like I probably wouldn't do half the things that are not good for me if um, if I just am off. Operating from a, a place of truly being on my side, which starts with uh, a mindset. Great. Well, that is very helpful. That's, and I, I like the boss employee thing because, yeah, I would, I would definitely quit my job. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we got to negotiate with ourselves for like, you know, and, and, and really it's like, um, you know, that idea of like, what do you need from me? You know, like that, what, what do you need from me and how can I support you? Whether these dialogues, whether this dialogue is with our bodies or even with our illness, you know, it's like that I, I, I really, it really, it's a pet peeve of mine when people have nicknames for their illness, you know, it's like, or, or like, Oh yeah. Like, or like, oh yeah, I have fibro or, you know, like, like you and fibromyalgia are like tight, you know, like you've got the, you know, that it's like there, you know, and it's like, I say it as this hackneyed thing, but you know, like just that there, there is, um, there's a certain amount of like, of again, like an, un, like who would you be without your disease? Who would you, you know, like who, who would you be? Um, and, and in identifying with that disease, are you possibly limiting the potential for feeling better? You know, because again, like in Chinese medicine, the first thing that I'm supposed to do is strip away the labels and just look at the person's actual experience, you know, and then put the labels back and understand it, you know, like uh, differently. But, but it's the, it's the kind of thing where like, you know, a, a chronic fatigue, for example, it's like that looks different depending on who you are. And it's like, you know, for some people, it just, it, it's, um, what is this, what is this version of this illness? How is it showing up for you? Anxiety, depression, these are big labels, big tents, you know, like uh, that, and not to, like anything that is, um, well, really all of us are, are very unique and how things show up in our bodies. It is to be honored and appreciated and, and tended to, in a unique way. Right. And so, so being able to, um, to talk to the, the parts that hurt, you know, if your back hurts, like, okay, what do you need from me today? You know, do you need me to lie down for 15 minutes with my legs up the wall? And then we might be willing to, you know, do the dishes. Okay. I can work with you. You know, like uh, that kind of thing, which is like enables us to be functional, even with, um, the, the kind of limitations that we might be dealing with. All right. So what, what advice would you give? If you had one piece of advice to give to a woman with a chronic illness, what would that one piece of advice be? Be good to yourself. Yeah. Just, I think I just said it, you know, like just treat yourself with the same, with the same respect you would have uh, for any other human on the planet and radiate your self-respect with your daily actions. That's awesome. Okay. And then my big thing is that there is no super mom, right? We have to get rid of super mom, super woman or whatever, but that each one of us has a superpower. So what would you say your superpower is? I, uh, it depends on the context, you know, like I, okay. cause uh, you know, like Walt Whitman, right. That I am large, I contain multitudes. So my superpower, um, in clinic might be different than my superpower in leading a retreat, which might be different than my superpower having a conversation. Um, but I would say that two of, two of my superpowers that I think I blend really well, um, are compassion and strategy, right? Like, like that I, I can bring in, I can bring in my heart and my brain, and come up with solutions for people. And um, I'm pretty proud of that, you know, like that, and that's, it, that in and of itself is honoring uh, a yin and yang wholeness, right? You know, that uh, both the masculine and the feminine. And the more we do that, the more integrated we are and the more, um, and the more full our presence becomes. Yeah. And that truly is a superpower to be able to blend those two things because a lot of people have a strength in one or the other, but to be able to put them together. Is awesome. So if somebody's listening and they think, oh my gosh, this woman is amazing and I would love to work with her, how could they do that? 
Well, they can head to BrodyWelch.com, Brody with an I-E, Welch with a C-H. And that is uh, where you can learn about all the ways that I potentially work with people. I My my signature coaching program is, uh, is an opportunity to get together with other people who are serious about self-care and actually bringing like bridging the gap between what we think we need to be doing to take care of ourselves and actually doing it. And so it's the kind of thing that like, whether you are someone with chronic illness or whether you are someone who um, does not want to become chronically ill, um, it doesn't really matter. It's uh, it, it's uh, it's all the same stuff that it, like uh, every health expert that I interview on a healthy curiosity uh, says the same thing, whether they're a, a, a brain doctor or a cardiologist or a skin person or, a, you know, like no matter what the expertise is, the advice comes back to we all need to be eating nourishing foods. We all need to be getting enough sleep. We all need to be um, honoring our hearts and, and being connected with our community. Uh, we all need to be having a body-mind practice and a, and a flow of emotions that allows us to be present in our daily lives. And so these are the kinds of things that uh, are really easy to know and really hard to do because life gets in the way and because we've got these ego strategies that prevent us from actually doing the things. And so I combine a behavior science um, habit change approach with the wisdom of Ayurveda yoga and Chinese medicine and um, and the support of a community of people who are banding together not to stay stuck in where they are with illness, uh, which is another thing that can happen like in support groups, even the most well-intentioned, um, is that what happens when you get better? You know, like do you lose all your friends? Uh, it can be yeah. nice to have people who are aligned around, um, around this idea of evolution and personal growth in addition to feeling better, having more energy, having more mobility, um, losing weight, whatever it is. And so, um, so yeah, I would say uh, listen to the podcast, um, head to BrodyWelch.com. Feel free to reach out over email, um, actually Brody at BrodyWelch.com. Okay. And I have links to all of that in the show notes and Great. more because uh, yeah, we've got all kinds of things. And so I just want to thank you so much for being here today. You have given me so many great things to think about and, uh, and I love it. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Jen. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Brody, for being with me today. That was an amazing conversation. Today, I learned so many things and things that I already knew were really reinforced, like taking care of myself should feel okay. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of times I feel like I should be taking care of everybody else and putting my needs last. And that really isn't true. Because if I'm not well, then I can't take care of anybody else as well as I could, right? Also, spending money to take care of myself is important. I did do that when I needed the acupuncture and when I was feeling really horrible. But sometimes when I'm feeling mildly horrible, I don't want to spend the money to take care of myself. And thank you, Brody, for reminding me that yes, it's important. And it is more important than going and buying the kids toys or all these auxiliary things that we're all spending money on when we don't feel well. And we could potentially feel a lot better if we focused on the things that make us feel better. Um, also, I really need to use a more positive inner voice. I thought I had conquered it, but when I really listen, I notice I'm telling myself a lot of negative things that I don't need to. So if that's you, I encourage you to join me in talking to myself better. Also, if you want to join me in my group, I have a group called Chronically Positive Moms. Right now we're on Facebook. I think we're going to move over to the website very soon. It's a very exciting so we have a little bit more privacy. But for right now, you can jump in there, join us, and then you'll know about the move. And I'd love to know what you learned today. If you want to shoot me an email, jen at the sickmomsguide.com. 
I read and respond to every single one of them. So if you want to connect with me, those are two great places to do that. I want to thank you again for listening because I really value your time and an hour is a lot of time for you to listen. So thank you for that. This episode was sponsored by the book, The Sick Mom's Guide to Having Fun Again. If I can do it, you can too. I am the author of that book. You can find it on Amazon. There will be a link in the show notes. Our music is A New Day by Scott Holmes. And I look forward to talking to you next week.